Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm just going to talk about God's heart for the children and teens ministry here today. We're going to start from the beginning and really understand things from God's perspective. So this is going to be a short video, just the outline and the basics about understanding God's heart and things from God's perspective so that we can best please him, get to know him, and really just love him in this ministry of reconciliation. So if you have no idea what I just said, we're going to break it down and get right down to the basics. So let's get started. The first verse I want to talk about today is Acts chapter 13, verses 22. And in this verse, it says, When he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. And what we want to do is see how we can be after God's heart as well in order to do his will. We'll talk about God's will a little bit later in the series, but first we're just going to step in and really understand God's heart and things from his perspective. So how can we be after God's heart? Well, the first part is, is really prioritizing God and making him first in your life. It's really apparent to see what comes first in someone's life just from talking to them, Coming into their home, you can see what they prioritize. You can see a little bit more about them. So even other things, if someone comes over to my place, they can see that there's a lot of like baking where I love baking cakes, cupcakes, whatever it is, and I like cooking. So you might see some things that you m may not see in some of uh, someone else's house. So you might see a cake turntable, um, a frosting scooper, things like that, that might not be typical in someone else's home. But because I love to bake, that is why you'll see it in my place. The same thing with God. If someone's priority is God and someone's prioritizing the Lord in everything that they do, you'll be able to see it in the things that they say, everything that they talk about. It always just leads back to God. And so that's what we want to make sure that we're doing in our own lives and making sure that we're putting God first in everything that we do, in our conversations, in our lives, in our homes, so that people can really see God within us. And that's one of the ways that we can be after God's own heart, because the more that something is in our heart, it represents in our lives. Let's take a look at another verse. In Psalm chapter 119, verses 111, it says, Thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. As I mentioned earlier, people will be able to see what's in your heart by your heritage. Our heritage is God. So people will be able to tell your heritage, which is God's heritage, just by the way that we live our lives. And it starts to show up in different areas in our lives as well. In verse 112, it says, I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. And again, we're going to talk about God's will and how to really just live for Christ and live according to his statutes, according to his will, what he wants for us. But, you know, the first thing we need to do is make sure that we open our hearts so that we can be after God's heart. In order to really understand God, how can you say that you love somebody and you don't know them? So we need to take a look at God's word and God's story. In John chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. That means that God is the word. So in order to get to understand 
God more. We need to understand the word more. We need to get to know the word more. And how do we do that? It's by reading the Bible. So making sure that we take our time to really go through God's word to understand him, understand his heart, understand what we can do to please him. And another part of understanding God's heart and understanding him is also understanding God's story. So that's what we're going to dive deeper into today. And it's so important that we look at his story because it's his autobiography. This Bible right here, it really tells us from the beginning to the end in the future of what God wants for us, what God has for us. And so it's so important that we just take the time to read into it and look and see what God has put in his story, in his autobiography for us to get into. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, it talks about, you know, God's creation. So we see all throughout the beginning of Genesis, that first chapter, it talks about everything that God created and everything that God did um, for us on this earth. So he created the heavens and the earth and the sea and the animals. And in verse 31, it says, and God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And this verse really just shows that God was pleased with his creation. And it's also a reminder to ourselves that when God created us, he said it was very good. And I also want to take a moment to pivot and also remind you that there should not be a time where you are talking down on yourself that you're not good enough because when God created you, he said it was very good. So you want to make sure that you remember that as we step forward and try to look at things from God's perspective. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, we're going to take a look at those two verses. And it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayst freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest it, thou shalt surely die. And so this is after God had created Adam and Eve, and he just wanted them to really follow all of the statutes. He said, all these things you can have, you can do anything, but just don't eat of the fruit of that tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, what would happen if they did? Thou shalt surely die. In that verse, God was super clear as well. Oftentimes, we as humans, we try to make uh, gray areas. Did he really say that we couldn't eat from the tree? And what would happen? I don't remember. I don't know if he was really meaning that. And so we often try to make great areas, but God is very clear. The Bible says that he doesn't change his mind. He's not finicky like man is. What he says is what he says, and we need to be sure that we're following his word. And so in that verse, he was very, very clear in what he said to Adam, do not eat of the tree. And I also want to make note that God is our father. And like a parent, they tell you when things are good and they tell you when things are bad. The reason why they tell you not to do something, it's usually because it's not good for you. And so just like a parent, God is telling us to do certain things because they will lead to good things. But if he tells us not to do something, that's because it leads to bad things. And so originally man had eternal life, but when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, that means that their lifespans were shortened and it introduced death into the world for humans. And so we just want to make sure that when we're living after God and being after God's heart, we're not creating gray areas and we're trying to live according to exactly what he said, not creating those gray areas for ourselves. 
And I want to now turn to Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. And it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And this was after we have, you know, heard of the story of Adam and Eve and they ate of the fruit of the tree that God told them not to do. And the thing that really stuck out to me after reading this verse over and over again, it says it grieved him in his heart. God's heart was grieved. He felt that pain. He didn't want us to um, live a life of sin. He didn't want us to die. And that was what was introduced into the earth when that happened. And it grieved him at his heart. And I just want to stop there and really just think about, wow, I didn't know that God felt that for us. Of course, you know, growing up, we know that, you know, God loves me. I know he has those emotions towards me, but I also didn't know that he felt that pain. It didn't know that he was grieved. He was, you know, it made him sad, upset, you know, that we did that. And so we just want to make sure that we're doing things to please him, that makes him happy, and that makes him happy for us to have us as his children. And so we never want to do anything that will grieve God. And that really just changes things. And we look at things from his perspective. Wow, I didn't know that. And so now I'm always consciously thinking about, I don't want to do anything that is going to grieve God, that is going to make him sorrowful, that is going to make him feel that way. So moving forward, we want to always look at things and how can I please my father? And as children, you know, in the world, you see that kids, they're oftentimes really just thinking about themselves. It's what can I eat and what am I going to do today? But as we get older and we grow up, you get past maybe 16, 18, you start to think about other people. You start to think about maybe your siblings, your parents, and what you can do to maybe help around the house. And so that's why we want to make sure that as Christians, we want to make sure that we're thinking about God and what we can do to please him. And one amazing, perfect example of the perfect child is Jesus Christ. God's plan is to give us eternal life. And so that's why Jesus had to come and die for our sins to atone for that death. Because as it says later and uh, elsewhere in the Bible, that the wages of sin is death. So that's why it says that, you know, Jesus came to atone for our sins as the perfect child of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. It was really recent that I really started to look into what is the ministry of reconciliation? It's what Christianity is all about. When man sinned in the beginning, Genesis, we saw that. And that's what tore us away from God. So now what we're trying to do is reconcile. The word reconcile, it means to try to come back together, try to join back together. And so that's what we're on a mission to do now is to join ourselves back together with God, constantly chasing after him and being after his heart. The ministry of reconciliation.
And I just really want to read that verse 18 again. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Wow. And again, you know, if we belong to Christ, we're a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And, you know, that reconciliation coming back together. There was a separation when we broke God's heart. He grieved for us. And what we're trying to do is work to bring us back together. But it starts with us. We've got to work. We've got to become a new creation with no sin, being fully 100% after God's heart, prioritizing him and making him first in our lives. And when we talk about eternal life and what we can expect when we have that reconciliation with God, we can turn to Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 to 4. And it says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And that's what we can expect. No more tears, no more crying, just being with God. All former things are passed away. Why? Because we are a new creation. We're made new with Christ. That's what it's all about, just reconciling with God. God is fighting to get his family back. There was a loss at the beginning when we sinned and we didn't do what he had told us to do clearly. And the rest, the entire Bible just shows how we can get back with God. And one day we will reconnect with him. And one day we will make it back to that ministry of reconciliation, reconcile with God and experience eternal life that we just read about in Revelation chapter 21. Now we're going to take a turn and really talk about keeping God's word. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, it says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So we're going to be talking all about God's word and keeping God's word. As we mentioned earlier, you know, what is the word? The word is God. The word was with God. And we can actually go to that verse in John chapter 1, verse 1. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so we just want to figure out, as we're getting to chase after God's heart, how to keep his word. Because the word is what? God. And now back in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, it really says, my word will not return into me void. That means that everything that God says that he'll do, he'll do. He's not a man that he's going to be finicky or, you know, he's going to say something and he's going to change his mind. Let's, our Lord does not change his mind. Everything that he says he's going to do, he will do. This means that God will accomplish his plan. And what is his plan for us? It's to achieve that purpose. When we talk about the Old Testament, the Old Testament was the old promise that he gave to the Israelites. And now that new promise, the New Testament, that was uh, given with Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, that is the new promise for us as believers. Now, what is the purpose of this promise? Well, we can actually take a look at that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 through 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 through 7, it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God 
with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou riseth up. And so this really, again, talks about keeping God's word and keeping it in your heart as well. And as I'm reading the Bible, and as you read the Bible on your own, you can see the word heart appears a lot of the time because that's where it starts. It really starts in our heart. We don't want our hearts to be divided. We want our hearts to be completely and fully towards God. Now, we're going to talk about promises. What is a promise? For me, a promise is when somebody says that they're going to do something, and I believe it. And that's what we have is that faith in God's promise. There are four parts to this promise, and it's the people, he gives the promise to the people, he tells them what to keep, and then there's the signature and then the reward. And so if you keep that promise, there's the reward at the end, but we need to know what to keep, and we can take a look at the signature. So in a contract in today's day and age, when you sign a contract, you sign it with maybe a pen and there's a paper and you sign that down. And when you sign your name on that contract, it's binding. It means that you have to keep whatever it is that you promised or that you said that you would keep. God does the same thing. And we can take a look in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, how God actually signed his contracts. In the Old uh, Testament and, you know, throughout that time in the history of the world, people actually signed their contracts, their covenants with blood. And so we're going to take a look at that today. So let's take a look at Psalm 89 verse 3. In Psalms 89 verse 3, it says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. And we can take a look at that and see in the four parts of the covenant, the contract, the promise that God has given us, the first part is the people. The chosen people in the Old Testament were the Israelites. Now let's take a look at Exodus chapter 19 verse 5 and 6. In Exodus chapter 19 verse 5 and 6, it says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And these are the words that God told Moses to tell the people of Israel. And this is really where the first covenant, we see that in the Bible. And it says, you know, if then, and those are the, the terms of the contract. You know, in contracts that we write, it says, if I do this, then you will do this. Or if you do this, then I will do that. And so it's saying, you know, if we keep God's word, then we'll be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And it's so interesting and we'll be a peculiar people. When we pray to God, we usually ask for certain things like, oh, can I get this job? Or can I go to this college? But we don't often pray to be a peculiar treasure. We don't often pray to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And so now we're trying to change the dynamic and see how we can look at things from God's perspective, not from my own selfish wants and needs, but how can I please God so I can be what he wants me to be? In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. 
as we said, you know, blood in those days, it was how they signed their contracts. And when you put your blood on the line, you know, blood equals it's the life, it's the soul. So when you use blood to make signatures or contracts, it means that your life is on the line. So let's take a look back on Exodus chapter 24, verse 7 through 8. In Exodus 24, 7 through 8, it says, And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord hath said we will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. And so what had happened was Moses actually gave them the contract. He told them God's promise for them. And in order to sign the contract, he put blood on the altar to give to God and he sprinkled blood on the people. And that's how the contract was first made in the Old Testament. So that was the binding contract. Your life is on the line. But we'll see later on what happened to break that covenant and why a new covenant had to be made. And we also want to keep in mind the same promises that were promised for the Old Covenant were also promised for the New Covenant. The three rewards, it says, will be a peculiar or unique treasure, priests, and a holy nation. And so we're going to take a look at that in the New Testament as well. And as we take a look throughout the rest of the Bible, this is really the covenant of love. And it's really as simple as that. I will probably mention this over and over again about just the heart of God and having a heart for God and really just loving one another. That is really what the covenant of love is all about. And we'll get a little bit deeper into the term and definition that God says love is because that's really as simple as it is. What God has called us to do is to love God and also love people. And that's how we can please him. But we'll get into that later in this series. So in the New Testament, we can take a look at John chapter 1, verse 10 through 13. In John chapter 1, verse 10 through 13, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that verse really just talks about how we are God's children. And he gives us the power to become his sons, the sons of God, the children of God. And so in this verse, and as we see in the New Testament, when Jesus came, his people rejected him. The people actually broke the covenant when they crucified Jesus. And that was the ultimate betrayal. They didn't recognize him because of other things and they just didn't expect Jesus to come the way that he did. And so because they weren't chasing after God's heart and really learning God for themselves, they did not recognize Jesus when he came. And when they rejected him and they broke that covenant, that is how the first covenant was broken. And it's so interesting because We'll talk later about God's secrets and the secret wisdom that God has in his word. You know, you can read it like it's a story, but you have to really understand it and see the secret wisdom. God only gives the secret wisdom when he knows that you have the heart to want to understand truly what he means in his word. And so that's why when the people in that time, they were reading Moses's commandments, but they didn't really have the heart for God and they didn't necessarily 
read it in a way to understand either. So when Jesus came, they didn't recognize him because Moses never wrote the name Jesus. But as we see in the Old Testament, Jesus is referenced, you know, in Isaiah, you know, the, the son that will be born of a virgin, you know, it was very plain to see, but they just didn't recognize him because, you know, the name Jesus was not written in the Old Testament. But if they had the eyes to, to see, to really get deep into the spirit, they would be able to understand the word for what it was and have been able to recognize Jesus, but they didn't. And so that's how the covenant was broken. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, we can go to that verse, but it basically talks about those that hear God's word and actually do what it says and, you know, take it to their heart. And as I mentioned, we're just going to see the word heart so many times in the scripture. And when we actually really read it from that perspective, from God's perspective and understanding God's heart, that is when we can really open our own hearts to be after his. So in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3, it says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So we want to make sure that we're, you know, keeping those things which are written therein. In another um, Bible translation, it says, keeping it in your heart. So it's important that we need to know what to do and to do it. That connection between our minds and our hearts. Our hearts is what really kind of tears us away. And, you know, we create those gray lines, as I mentioned. So when we open up our hearts and we connect it with our minds, then we can really do what God says we should do. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 27, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave things and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sins. And that's in verse 28. In the blood that was shed for the remission of sins, that ministry of reconciliation, that is where the second covenant happened, where Jesus had to have his blood shed for us, for the remission of our sins. He did this so that we could be reborn and that we could take part in the covenant. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 9, it says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I have made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, I will put, write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And that's in verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 8. As we see in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 8, there was something wrong with the old covenant. If there hadn't been anything wrong, there wouldn't have been a need for blood to be shed again and for Jesus to come and die one final time for the remission of our sins. But instead, there was something wrong with that covenant. That is why a new covenant had to be made, which is essentially a new covenant in the New Testament, which testament could also mean promise. So old promise and New Testament, new promise new covenant in hebrews chapter 9 verses 10 through 13 it says which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation but bright christ being come 
but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and cows, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes and hyper sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh. And in verse 14, it says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so we see in this verse and in this chapter, God's new promise to us, which is essentially the same thing. But because in the Old Testament, they used to always sacrifice bulls and goats constantly over and over again. Jesus came in the New Testament to sacrifice himself once and for all for our sins. And so we see the same promise, a unique treasure. I will be their God and they will be my people. Let's take a look back at that verse. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. That is the new promise for us. Now looking back at Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10, this is the new promise, the new covenant that he will make with the house of Israel. And for us, we that believe in God, we are the spiritual Jews. We are the house of Israel that Jesus is talking about. You know, in the Bible it says, many are called, but few are chosen. We are his chosen people. If we have faith in God, we believe in Christ, we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised on the third day, and we believe in this new covenant, this new promise, then we are his chosen people. So the three things that we had mentioned earlier, the unique treasure, kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And we can see that throughout this verse, I will be to their God and they will be my people, the unique treasure. They will teach my word. Who are people that teach words? Maybe pastors, but back in those days, it was called priests. So that is the priest aspect and a holy nation, which is a people that is without sin. And without sin, that is a holy nation. And we know God is faithful to his promises. All of his promises that he says in this Bible, we believe it and we know because he is faithful. That is why. And so we have to a part to play in this as well. We need to be faithful and do our part to get back and reconcile in that ministry of reconciliation. So remember, in that ministry of reconciliation, we need to be after God's heart. We need to open our hearts and be fully and 100% after God's heart. Prioritizing God in everything that we do, making sure that if God is in number one, he should be cons consumed in everything that we're doing. We should be consumed by him. Everything that we're saying, everything that we're doing, it should have God reflected in that. So let's just take some time to reminisce and to ponder on these words and really take time to memorize some of these verses as well. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10 is a really great one to just think about, you know, God's covenant and the new covenant that he's made with us. It's something to be excited about, something to look forward to, but we have a part to, to play as well.